0: Not ready? Too, Too bad. Head back, back face forward, forward, and hold on like, like you mean it!
1: Hello and welcome to Review Time's Theme park Cast. This is a weekly show where we discuss all the ins and outs of attractions and parks from around the world. My name is Luke and I will be your pilot today on our Lightspeed Journey to Endor. We all know what that iconic sound means. It's time to board our Star Speeder and welcome the best flight attendant in the biz. The man who thought Star Tours was just a ride where you got to drive past Drew Carey's house. It's my Review Time co-host, Dominic Lacey. Do you know when you go to Hollywood and
0: pretty much everywhere, they're like, here's a map to all of the famous people's Mm -hmm. houses. Do you know anyone who's actually gotten that and gone, oh boy... And then just, like,
1: driven so, around
0: past famous people's houses.
1: One time... So, I always stay around the Anaheim area, and there's always that thing where if you want to go to Universal Hollywood, you got to kind of book a day trip or have a car or something like that. I specifically remember one time when I went with my grandma, part of the day trip tour to Universal Hollywood was, like, you leave at, like, 8 a.m. from Anaheim, and the park didn't open until 10 So part of your trip was like an hour looking at the stars' homes and where the movies were made on your way to Universal Studios Hollywood. So you went through like Beverly Hills, you got to see, you know, there's Dr. Phil's house, there's Oprah's house. (laughs) Oh, and here's the actual place they make the movie that you care about going to, Universal Studios Hollywood.
0: That's the thing for me is it's like I care about seeing places that are recognizable in films, mm-hmm. but there's like this weird aspect where it's like this is Drew Carey's house. And it's okay. like, is it though? <laughs> like, Why do I care? I can't Even prove, prove is. that.
1: And I is feel Drew Carey in there? <laughs> a product of its time. Like now it's like, oh, where does Drew Carey live? Google Drew Carey's house. Go to Street View. Oh, that's where he lives. I don't need to pay a bus driver to drive me around and tell me. I can look it up at my house in three (laughs) seconds. But that, like, in the 80s and 90s, that, you know, guide to the stars' homes, that was a serious thing. See, I guess it it was a big
0: thing because back in those days, there was also no way to verify it. You could literally just be like, oh, yeah, that house over there. That's uh, Troy McClure's house. <laughs> Troy McClure isn't a real person. They'd say but... it. would
1: be on the map. Like, if they're going to sell this map for five bucks. They're going to fill out all the houses. There might be, you know, just some random lawyer or something who lives there. But they'll say that it's some hyper famous person who's never stepped foot in the city.
0: See, at that point, do you have to buy two maps to cross-reference
1: them? <laughs> and if they have overlaps, what are you then gonna you do? know go that those are the ones the you go shady to. Shady guy on the side of the street at LA and demand your money back. He'll shank you. LA is <laughs> the scariest place in the world. He'll stab you with a hot dog. <laughs> Here's what my well, George speaking. Lucas house stab. George Lucas, what a segue! Today we're talking about Star Tours. <laughs> And Star Tours, we're not talking about the the sequel, the adventures continue. We're just talking about the OG, the one, the only Star Tours. Oh, but Dom, um, Star Tours, that's a bit of a confusing mm. name, don't you think? Star Tours? Yes. Do you know what Michael Eisner wanted to call this attraction? No. But, just think. So Star Tours, try and think of another ride. M- like another name. Uh, maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe I get the top of my head, something, you know, Star Wars Galactic Highway or something like that. There, that's kind of... Yeah. Nope, too good. Michael Eisner thought Star Tours would be too confusing of a name, so wanted to call it Star Ride. What? Star Ride. What? <laughs> Why? Because (laughs) guests won't know what Star Wars is, Star Wars, but apparently they'll know Star Ride is the ride version of Star Wars, which I don't know if that's better or worse than George Lucas wanted to call it this really artsy name, Cosmic Winds. Oh, The same ride. It's still the same tourism gone wrong ride in the Star Wars universe. But it could have been called Star Ride or Cosmic Winds. So that's a good place to start. I guess it's that thing where it's like maybe they think, oh, Star
0: Tours, is that just an Astronarium? What, what are they called? The, <laughs> oh, Astronomy? Like the domes? Yeah. Or Planetarium. Planetarium. Astrona- yeah. What? That's kind
1: of cool. You get to lay back. Yeah, yeah. I guess. But Star Ride kind of doesn't make sense either. Neither does Cosmic Winds If you're going to get confused that Star Tours is a planetarium What the hell are you going to think Cosmic Winds is? An earthquake bloody typhoon simulator? See,
0: Star Tours actually works Like, in the context of the ride It is Star Tours Mm. You are on a tour through the stars, and it's a simulator. But I guess maybe it's like, oh, well, Universal Studios Hollywood is just down the road. They've got a star tour, but it's a a completely different star (laughs) tour. It's where you go around and look at TV stars instead of this one where you're looking at big balls of gas and planets.
1: In my opinion, this ride is great, but it might have at its core the most boring premise of any theme park attraction of all time. Yes You go to an airport (laughs) And then you get on an airplane Except Like it's not You know Usually it's like Oh, so you're in Star Wars, so we want you to be part of Star Wars. So you think the premise would be, you know, you're training to be a Jedi, you're training to fight against the dark side. No, the premise of this is you're just a regular Joe who happens to live in the Star Wars universe and needs to catch a plane to Endor to see their mum or something. Like, that's the premise of the ride at its core. It's, it gets exciting because something goes wrong, but at its premise, if everything went right... This would be a very boring ride. Because no one really likes going to the airport, going through security, having to take off your shoes if you're at American airport for oh, some no. reason. And this is pretty much
0: what the ride is. Like oh, that's no. what the ride is. But I do like that. I like so I'm one of the weirdos who gets really oh, no, fascinated about like the logistical complications of operating an airport. So when I go to an mm. airport and I see like everything just running all smooth like, and it's like, ooh nice so i'll (laughs) like watch the planes go and it's fun like sort of piecing it all together it's like oh so when i put down my bag here it goes down the carousel and that has to go to someone like and then it goes on a trolley and that goes like it's the whole underbelly of the airport that excites Mm. me so it's so yeah it's like it's like why i like theme parks
1: In a way. So, in Star Tours, when something went wrong, you got really disappointed. Mm. Because you're like, I just wanted to have a nice, calm flight. I get to the other end. I get to watch my baggage go around on the carousel. You were like, damn, why do we have to do the trench run and blow up the Death Star? Couldn't we just go on a nice, leisurely flight? (laughs) When I get into that building and I don't
0: have to take off my shoes and drop off my bags... I'm the immersion's gone. I'm there, Ruined. like grumpy face Disney? the entire time. Everyone's like, oh, fun ride." I'm like, "This sucks." This sucks. <laughs> I probably am. as we say,
1: we're just yeah. We're just gonna talk about the first version. So to talk about the first version of Star Tools, we need to go a long way back. At one point, the Disney was struggling. At this point, their animated films weren't doing well. Their live action films weren't doing well. The first kind of inkling, if you look far enough back into this project, you can see its stems. They were planning to do a simulator based on the live action film, The Black Hole, which was a Disney film in the 80s that I know essentially nothing about. Yeah, I don't know anything about that either. It flopped like crazy. So that's probably why uh, it's past, you know, we weren't born yet at this point. This kind of era, Disney's struggling Yeah. For, uh, kind of after Walt's passing and all the way up into the 80s especially, they're struggling. They don't really know what to do. Their films aren't hitting as hard anymore. Their theme parks are kind of dwindling as well. And interestingly, it's actually uh, Marty Scalar and uh, Tony Baxter, who sit down with CEO at the time, Ron Miller, Mm. who was actually Walt's... um, Walt's... What's it protege? called? What are you like? So he married... No, no. So he married Walt's daughter. What's that called? Son-in-law? Son-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. So Ron Miller, who was actually Walt's son-in-law, was running it at the time. And Baxter and Skloss sit down and they essentially say, Yo, the parks are growing stagnant. We need to get the new exciting films in to bring in more guests. Hmm. Problem was... Disney just wasn't making films that people really cared about at the time. It's
0: crazy to think that in an alternate universe, Disney just doesn't exist because they could have stayed on this path. Like Disney was basically uh, split into two camps and that was what would Walt do? And then other people who were like, well, we need to just move away from Walt entirely. And these camps basically hated each other they refused yep. to get along and they refused to cooperate because they
1: were adamant that what they were believing was right they were doing it the right way and this feuding is essentially what saw the decline of the disney company around this time which is crazy to think now you know 30 plus years later that disney was on a downward spiral looking like they could go bankrupt Well, this was around the time where they were at risk of being hostily taken over. Yeah. So this is pre kind of Eisner, so green mailed by Steinberg, I think his name was, Mm. who kind of came in and was trying to buy up a majority share of the company. So he could essentially green mail, it's called, where it's essentially blackmailing within a company that you have enough of a majority share to make changes in, and then they have to buy you out so that you don't make stupid choices and you make profit from it. Yeah. It's a whole big thing. I think there's a really good play series about it. There's like five videos about how Eisner came in, and this is a big part of it. So go watch that if you're interested. Midway to Main Street is now called as well. Oh, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Midway to Main Street. (laughs) Still a little bit confusing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So... Interestingly, after Baxter, Sklar, and Ron Miller actually sit down and talk about, they go, they agree. Okay, we need to reach outside the Disney bubble. This is something Disney hadn't done at this point for Mm. their attractions. They reached outside to George Lucas to pitch the idea of bringing Star Wars to Disneyland. And lucky them, Lucas is actually a huge fan of Disneyland. He grew up with Disneyland as a kid. Oh, nice. Uh, he'd been, you know, he was 11 years old when Disneyland first opened. So th- he's got this kind of connection with the park growing up as a Californian. And he was excited just as much as well. But right as it all started to kick off, Disney didn't like Ron Miller anymore. So they kicked him <laughs> out the door. <laughs> and this is, could have very well been the end of the Star Tours project. But Michael Eisner came in and actually enjoyed it even more than Ron Miller. He's a movie guy. Michael Eisen has come from Paramount Pictures. Mm. Movies are what he knows and what he knows better than anyone else. Theme parks are new to him, but he knows what people like. Can I point out as well, could you imagine
0: where USA and George Lucas was 11 when Disneyland opened? Like Disneyland opening to us seems like multiple lifetimes ago. And it is. For us, it's like over two (laughs) of our lifetimes. But Mm -hmm. imagine knowing what Disney was like when you were 11 years old and when it first opened, and then looking at it now and the empire that the Disneyland theme parks has become, you'd just be like, And he's still a part of it. That's the weird thing. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's Star Wars is still a huge part of it. In an uh, interesting even- way, because if you see him at the Galaxy's Edge opening, he's sort of
1: just there like, I'm what here because I'm What a have face. I done? <laughs> yeah. I don't own this anymore. Why am I here? <laughs> but we'll talk about opening ceremony it may even be better than the Galaxy's Edge ceremony, but we are going to get to that. We'll get to it a little bit later, a little bit of a teaser. Michael Eisner comes into the company, and one of the first things he does is the fateful trip to Imagineering in September of 1984. We've talked about this. We've This has almost become a meme in the, the Disney theme park community. This is the famous trip where Breck essentially outlines the future of Disney parks and resorts around the world. So he takes his 11-year-old son, uh, Breck Eisner, over and essentially all the Imagineers are showing off their new, big, exciting things that they want to bring to the parks that haven't been approved. Mm. Breck, the 11-year-old, chooses, you know, stuff like Splash Mountain, Star Tours, all of this to get built. So thank you, Breck, because good rides have come thanks to our good friend Breck Eisner. And this is the other thing. At the time, Lucas and Disney had humongous plans mm. for what they wanted to do to the Disneyland Resort. This would have turned almost the entirety of Tomorrowland into something called Lucas Port, which would have been a George Lucas-themed Tomorrowland. Yeah. This is happening, you know, around the 80s. If you're interested, we have done a whole video on this. I think it's called the George Lucas Disneyland or something like that. Yeah. It's all about Lucas Port. And the most interesting point to Eisner and to Breck was this roller coaster they had. This was a choose your own adventure Star Wars roller coaster. So, your train at certain points in the track had choices they could make that would lead you down either a more thrilling section or a more like family friendly section. So, you could choose the dark or the light side at certain points, you know. And all of these different things, it essentially was six roller coasters in one. There was six different points where it could split into different rides. I'm not, I can't calculate how many different versions that would mean, but that's very expensive.
0: Yeah, that's the thing I'm thinking of is it's like with a roller coaster, you pay per track. It's it's Mm. not that thing where if the track's not being used for that, like you're not paying for it. If, say, the experience... You can still only dispatch the same amount of people. Yeah, if the experience is only, like, one kilometre, but you've got four kilometres of track, you still have to maintain that. You still have to ensure that it's all, Mm -hmm. you know, up to par and all working as intended. So, you're technically... You just have, like, four kilometres of track that's just hanging out for a majority
1: of the ride. Yep. Especially, you know, I can't imagine that Sure, there's six different choosing... There's three points where you can choose between six different sets of track or whatever it ends up being. Mm. I just can't imagine that each of them are going to be equally picked. Yeah. so there's Some parts that would rarely ever be chosen and how guests would pick. And, you know, if you've got a little kid who ends up going on a 10 inversion coaster, even though they didn't want to, like, it sounds cool in theory. A choose your own adventure roller coaster... But I can see why it wouldn't have worked more than just it being really expensive. But they still wanted to do something with George Lucas. He's a huge name. They've agreed to do stuff with him. And Star Tours kind of started as the extension of that. Star Tours was designed from the start to be able to be kept fresh, to change over time, change the film, change the ride. And ultimately, we wouldn't see that until... The Adventures Continue came in. Mm. But from the start, it was designed to be able to be changed, which is why this idea of, you know, changing stories dependent on guests could be different. They could have put in a different film for each of the four cabins, for example, of Star Tours. So every time you rode, it could have been one of those four different ones. Um, That never happened. And yeah, it was a long time until we got anything with Star Tours. But that's Adventures Continue. Uh, that's not important. So, <laughs> <laughs> this is the OG Star Tours, Luke. Yeah. The other thing, we, as well, we even-
0: I will mm. say on that uh, roller coaster, I could guarantee that the way it would go is they'd be like, Yeah, we've got this choose your own adventure roller coaster. Okay, how much is it going to cost? Well, this will cost about $200 million. And then they'd be like, Okay, here's $30 million, and everyone gets a button that just changes the
1: lighting effects. Yeah, for the different, make it feel, oh, now you're in, you know, the star, the dark side, it has red lighting. Mm. There you go. Oh, do you want to be good? Here's blue lighting. (laughs) It's not a terrible idea, I guess. Nah. A way to cheat it. It's similar to what, how the Indiana Jones Adventure used to work Mm. at the first room where it looks like there's three different rooms and just based off different lighting it changed so the same set piece looked like three different things. Yeah. We need to talk um, about
0: that one day yeah, in an episode to um, Indiana Jones because the way that
1: works is really cool where it's one like- One of my favorite rides in the world. Oh, yeah. Doesn't work anymore, that no, effect. It's now stationary. They used to have a big practical effect and now it's projection mapped instead, mm. which is a shame because project, if you have ever ridden it back then, it was so cool to feel- and it literally did feel like you were going through a completely different door every single time. Yeah. Because of that effect. And that is actually something that would come of the George Lucas agreement. But that's later on down the road. The first thing is they've had that agreement. The Lucas port looks exciting, but it's going to be too expensive. So Michael Eisen is like, ah, star tours, that's going to work. Hey, man, can you give me, you know, star tours? Can you open that by next summer in like eight <laughs> months time? And the Imagineers essentially laughed at Eisner because he has no experience in the theme park industry. This isn't television. This isn't film. You can't just whip something together. They're like, yeah, we can maybe have it for you in like two to three years instead. (laughs) Which is why we actually get Captain EO. So Captain EO is made as a bridging point for the George Lucas agreement with Disney. So Captain EO... Directed by film legend Francis Ford Coppola. You know, just the director of the Godfather trilogy, Apocalypse Now. Just little films oh, like that. Just little and also, casual
0: Francis Ford
1: <laughs> yeah. Coppola. You know, and then Captain EO, a theme park show starring Michael Jackson and the little fuzzball. It's, <laughs> I think, did you ever see, did you ever go to the parks when they had like the revival of Captain EO I have been to the parks several
0: times When they've had Captain EO there mm. I just cannot justify the time um, If you know what I mean it It's it- like it, I I've very rarely go times. to theme parks Or Disney parks Yeah that's parks. the thing
1: I think I saw it at I have never seen it at Disneyland But I believe I saw it at Epcot Yeah But that was when I lived there, so you could spend... Because it's like almost a 20-minute show, plus the pre-show time, plus, you know, you've almost got to dedicate an hour. And when we were seeing it, it was, you know, in the new millennium, in the 2000s. Yeah. For a film that came out in the 80s. It's interesting, and I do like it, but I've kind of seen it once, and that's it. I don't have a connection with it that a lot of people who grew up with Disney in the 80s have. I did see... The other one that they had in the same theatre, which was Honey,
0: I Shrunk the Audience. That was mm. cool because it was like... It used... I have more of a connection with that. Yeah.
1: It was scary. There was a big snake and it scared me. That's what I remember <laughs> from there was that a ride. And dog. <laughs> yeah, and it almost tried to lick your face. Those are the two most important things to remember <laughs> from that ride. Uh, so they, they make Captain EO in the meantime. They keep working on Star Tours behind the scenes. Uh, so adventure through inner space which is the ride that previously existed in this space at Disneyland, closes on the 2nd of September, 1985. And they begin installing the theme. Uh, Sorry, they begin installing the Star Tours attraction. So they remove the roof and they put in four Atlas simulators, which are actually military grade flight simulators. The tech didn't exist in theme parks really before this. So they've had to bring in, you know, flight simulators they would use to kind of train pilots and stuff like that mm. and have used it for a fun little, you know, fly around the world of Star Tours. <laughs> so they brought in four of those, which cost $500,000 each Ooh. at the time just for the ride system. Uh, the ride ends up costing like $30 million total. Mm. So, you know, $2 million of that is just for the... The boxes, essentially, that control the ride. But the really cool thing, in my opinion, is this film is actually made in the same way the original Star Wars movies were, oh. with models. It's not CGI. It's the camera actually traveling through models of the sets of the, you know, the other vehicles you see in the film are models as well. Miniatures, practical models, computer controlled cameras. Wow. All of this to make this ride film. The new one is obviously just CGI, but this one, it costs $6 million to make Jeez. this five minute ride film, which was shot on classic 70 mil film at 30fps. So, what,
0: like which 20% is of the ride's <laughs> budget was just
1: this film? This film, because wow. they had to make the miniatures, the models, all of the special effects and stuff like that. Mm. And then after all of that was done, f- moment of silence for these poor Imagineers who had to sit in the f- in the ride vehicle with a joystick <laughs> and watch the film over and over and over to try to program the exact right like movements of the ride vehicle to sync up with the See, film.
0: I was thinking that. I was like... Usually, traditionally with like a lot of new technology, they don't have the computer programs available to just be like, oh, well, this does this, 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 this," and it's all mapped out, Mm -hmm. ready to go. Like, I was thinking there would have to be some sort of way in which they manually watch this film and then they have to just map out the movement, which would have probably been that thing where an Imagineer would have learnt that off by heart and then would have been like, all right. Let's record this mm-hmm. one. Record it, yeah. And it's crazy to think that Hand the manual, mapped. like, yeah. mapped programming, when you ride that attraction or were riding that attraction, mm. there is the possibility that you're just basically in an
1: Imagineers video game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's got the joystick, he's going crazy. Which it's interesting now that, you know, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run essentially in real time, does what this Imagineer had to do with the joystick. Yeah, true. Like, the ride vehicle moves in real time based off what you're doing that would have taken this guy weeks and weeks and weeks to program by hand. It can do in a split second. Just, It's crazy. All right, we've talked about the history of the ride, but now it's time to talk about my favorite thing that has ever happened in regards to Star Tours. The opening ceremony is yes. better than the ride, It's very important that we talk about this. I may have just done this episode because I wanted to talk about the spectacle that is the Star Tours opening ceremony at Disneyland. So Star Tours opens at Disneyland on the 9th of January 1987. Uh, In celebration of the opening, Disneyland remained open for 60 hours straight. Oh, (laughs) I thought the 24 hour days days, would be... (laughs) yeah. The most three days, can you, I wonder how many people made it from open to close. I love Disney. I love theme parks. I could not survive 60 hours straight at, in a theme park. Oh, man. I'd be S- sleeping on rides. <laughs> Unless there was Ellen. Then if there was Ellen's energy adventure, I could do
0: 150 True. hours. Like, if the theme park was a person, by the end of this time, they would still Dink, they would have huge <laughs> bags under their eyes. Mm-hmm. They'd be grumpy as all hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man! Uh, so Even yeah, it's- just the twenty-four hour events that they used to do every now and then. Like yeah, I, I haven't seen days one. Days
1: and stuff. They haven't done one in a while. Yeah, where
0: like you'd have vlogs of people who are like, "Yeah, I'm at the twenty-four hour event, and I'm just walking past the castle, and oh, there's a whole group of people sleeping." Like, if you're going to a 24 hour event to sleep in the parks, don't go to the 24 hour (laughs) event.
1: Which I always thought it was cool, the first one of those they did, where it's like one more Disney day. What would you do if you had one more day? And then it just ended up, everyone was just like smashing face in the bushes, having to get <laughs> kicked out for getting too rowdy, sleeping at 3am in front of the castle. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that. to be fair, that's what most people would do if they had one more day. <laughs> it's the perfect opportunity for
0: some of those like clickbait uh, click vloggers to get those mm. videos where it's like, all right, guys, I'm going to hide in Disneyland yeah. overnight. For 27 hours. There are some that I've seen. Like, I remember we were watching one. Like, there, there are legitimately some videos that I've seen where it's people who are breaking into theme parks at night. Do not do that. That is very dangerous and very illegal. But there are some videos mm-hmm. I've seen where it's people who are like, oh, yeah, I spent the night in Universal Studios. I don't know why they're British, but they are. Um, and <laughs> they, they, they have to be. That's what, the rule. Like what they do is they just find a quiet area. They'll like tuck themselves in and be like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to sleep here and stay here. And then they'll, like, poke up the camera and they'll be like, oh, it's, it's now, like, 3 a.m., in which they literally just change the time on their phone and then they'll mm-hmm. be like, they'll do a quick lookout. 90% of the time, the rides are still running. So they, yeah. like, look out and it's do like... in the background. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, they I'm going to do- try to get sleep again.
1: Yeah. They always do my favourite vlogger trick, which is... Oh, sorry, I just woke up and Mm. happened to be holding my camera that happens to be recording me. (laughs) Like, wow, you've got really strong arms that have just recorded you for eight hours straight sleeping and still perfectly framed. Your hair's looking perfect. See, Casey Neistat,
0: when he first started doing videos, would do all of those things where it's like, oh, here's a shot of me walking onto a plane. Yeah. And then he started showing, like, all of the extended shots where it's, you know, he puts the camera down, it's him walking on the plane, and then he has to run back and get the camera. Run back and and get it's, it. it's yeah. very unromanticized once you figure out how a lot of those things
1: are done. Like... Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the, like, vlogging just in general doesn't appeal to me because my life isn't that exciting. It's also a lot of work. My- it's either yeah. you
0: have an exciting life or you live in an exciting place. And they very yeah, rarely overlap.
1: It. <laughs> yeah. It's either you do the talking or the par- parks do. And I think it's very much all the people like, I'm moving to Orlando to be a theme park vlogger. Well, you do that. <laughs> Good you, luck. You can have that. That. <laughs> that. But those aren't my favourite thing. You know, this... We gotta talk, we gotta get back to it. It's very exciting. Okay. The opening ceremony of Starter was maybe one of my favorite things that has ever happened in the entire history <laughs> of theme parks around the world. If you give me a bit of a time, I'll explain it to you. Okay. So it starts it's got this realistic, quite honestly impressive set. It's got all these big triangles that kind of fold down and then the music starts, It's of course, it's got to be the classic Star Wars music, and onto the stage runs Han, Luke, and Leia, who look nothing like Han, Luke, and Leia. They're just random face, you know, 18-year-olds, I think they grabbed who used to be custodial or something at the oh, park like- <laughs> and had similar haircuts. Um, Vader comes out then, there's still no talking at this point, the music's swelling, Vader comes out and kind of stands there like he's Darth Vader, points at people, and then walks off set. Han Solo starts blasting his laser at, you know, stormtroopers who've come out. But Han Solo's laser blaster looks like he just went to his local laser tag arena and grabbed one of the guns and <laughs> cut it off the vest. Look, I and wouldn't put it, this, it past them. <laughs> yeah, it's making this weird noise It sounds nothing like Star Wars blasters when he shoots it. Uh, then there's still no talking at this point. We're yep, four yep. minutes in. There's an interpretive dance where Luke, Han and Leia do this weird sort of Cirque du Soleil dance where they're lifting up Leia and spinning her around for a little bit. Music's still just Star Wars music at this point. There's nothing else going on. But then here comes the big scary part. Vader comes back on. Chases Leia, like running chasing her around oh. the stage, grabs her arm, rips her to the other side of the stage, and then the smoke effect goes off, and Darth Vader gets scared and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a pillar of smoke appears, like just a smoke cannon, and Darth Vader goes, Oh, gotta get out of here. Oh no, my natural enemy, <laughs> smoke. <laughs> smoke. My father. Uh, he died. <laughs> Of smoking, <laughs> smoking, and then the music swells, and they just all kind of walk off stage. And the best part hasn't even happened yet. What That's the <laughs> intro? We're only five minutes in to a fourteen-minute extravaganza. <laughs> then a voiceover guy goes, "Welcome to Star Wars," and then the. The Figur and Dan and the Modal Nose, the Cantina Band come out and start playing while <laughs> the stage just has uh, probably fifty aliens on it pretending to drink for like a few minutes. Oh, <laughs> and the, 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 the for that entire song, and then C three PO. Can R2. I? Can I quickly? This just, is a no. I need wild to pause event. you
0: there because you've just reminded me, and I just want to quickly talk about this because it's come to my head. And then we'll get Mm -hmm. back to this extravaganza. I know I'm (laughs) ruining the pace. We haven't even seen Eisner yet, so. But you (laughs) know. Stay tuned. You know, like that scene where they're all drinking on stage and faking it. Yeah. Do you know what scene I hate in the original Star Wars? The guy with the hole in his head where they pour the drink into the hole in his head, and that's how he drinks. I gaping, hate yeah. that scene. The, the
1: cantina scene, yeah.
0: No, because it's disgusting. Hate,
1: oh, I was going to say, yeah, just because you hate the idea of a guy drinking through a, a hole. Yes. <laughs> Mouths are holes. No, but he's just got a gaping hole in the top of his yeah, head, and, and he's he got this expression of like, mm, yum, yum, yum. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you could see through the back of your mouth, that would be a confronting image when you're trying to drink. So yeah. fair,
0: fair. So th- that I just a, it popped into my mind and I had to say something.
1: Uh, continue. I've not thought, thought about that guy for a while, so thanks for that. Now that's all I can think about. Um, so finally, the everyone's drinking. C three PO and R two D two through a hole in their looking head for of George course. Lucas. Uh, so. They're looking for George Lucas, and then C-3PO is like, oh, he's with Michael Eisner, and then says a line I'm pretty sure must have been written by George Lucas and Michael Eisner, because C-3PO goes, those two men are so clever to have created and are both absolutely excellent. They just walk on stage during this. Is this canon? Is is this canon? George kind of... Awkwardly walk out, fixing their suits as the music swells again. And Eisner stands up and then he thanks real astronauts who are in the audience for some reason he's like and we've got real people from the apollo space missions please stand up we've got um no, no 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 and then they stand up and everyone claps for them and then they sit down Do they start and like screaming it, it, usa usa <laughs> it's a very civilized polite clapping goes oh, okay. on um and then he's like you get to be the first riders of star tours for some reason, didn't they and do the like, exact right. same
0: thing for Space Mountain
1: where they like astronauts? Oh yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, for seventy-one. So it's but it's just random astronauts I've never heard of, unfortunately. Mm. So Eisner has a microphone that looks like a lightsaber. I didn't point that out yet. <laughs> and then he calls C three PO three CP three O for some reason. <laughs> He's like, "All right, we're ready to open the ride." Isn't that right, three C P three O? And he's like, "That's right, Master Michael." And they're ready to cut the they're ready to cut the the scissors. They got they're ready to cut the ribbon. Oh no, Dom! R two D two forgot to bring the scissors. Ah, R two D two D two D R2-D2 and C-3PO kind of beep and yell at each other for a while (laughs) Because he didn't bring the scissors have a domestic (laughs) And then the You know that swelling Star Wars music Where they get the medal at the end of the film Like That starts playing But the day is saved by the absolute icon Rainbow Spaceman Mickey Have you seen this one? No So it's Mickey. Pride Month before. (laughs) Yeah. It's from Epcot Center. I don't know why uh, it's here as well. But it's like metallic silver. Mm. Mickey, normal Mickey head, and then just a rainbow embroidered on the front of his metallic silver spacesuit. He fought in the
0: wars of
1: pride in space (laughs) of 2087. (laughs) (laughs) He comes out. He sounds like he's voiced by some random guy on the street. You know, they, it was like they're in a meeting and they're like, we've got this opening ceremony to do in three hours. Anyone here can do, can anyone here do a Mickey voice? And some gruff guy at the back is like, yeah, I can do one for my kids. good Michael. sounds nothing like Mickey. <laughs> I can't even do one that sounds as bad as his, like trying to do it. If I remember, I'll put in a little audio grab here of what he actually sounds like. Oh! Because boy. Then he, pretty much. He then he's the Mickey's just like We'll just hold this close here for a bit while you photographers get your pictures. Huh. And they just kinda of awkwardly stare at for like a minute. Oh and then they have a lightsaber, Eisner and Lucas hold it, it shoots flames out the front, cuts the ribbon, and then they all just walk off stage. It's fourteen minutes of pure Eisner, nineteen eighties Disney glory, and if you haven't watched it, pause the podcast, go watch Star Wars opening ceremony Disneyland. Unless you're in a car, uh, in which case pull over, pull it's over. Worth it. We we need to watch it at one point and we live do. react because even even that like ten minutes I explained it, I couldn't even do justice to how spectacular three uh, CP three O and. <laughs> The interpretive dance And all of these Presenting is- Small Small
0: Good old Michael Eisner we- Like It gets a bad rap We'll talk about this earlier But Michael Eisner He's He's got The best interest
1: at he's heart saved the company Oh 100% he, Without Eisner There would be no Disney today mm. People rag on him a lot We've made a little bit of fun of him In good Good heart but without it, there would be no Disney without Michael Eisner. So thank you, Michael, for all the fun, all the the jokes, the laughs you've given us. We love you, Michael Eisner. Huh? I love now, him there
0: more. We go. <laughs> oh, we want to fight about who loves
1: <laughs> Eisner more. We'll let get him on the podcast.
0: The you give him a kiss. <laughs> I give him a kiss, and then he'll have to tell us whose was
1: the most <laughs> loving. <laughs>
0: Breck's one of the judges
1: Breck's the judge He's the only one He sits there and goes Who's the most loving to my Mm -hmm.
0: dad Uh, Luke can you come and give me one of those
1: (laughs) What (laughs) I need to know Can you imagine if (laughs) Michael Eisner Agreed to come (laughs) on the podcast and so he's like, so, boys, what have you got planned? What's the big episode? We're both going to give you a big kiss on the cheek. And y- your son's going to say, who is the biggest <laughs> lover of you? What? <laughs> it's a oh, multi-millionaire I only led the, who owns I only led the Disney company, company. Through some of its biggest growth <laughs> in history for 20 years. But, yeah. Come and give me a big old smooch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, <No>. my goodness. <laughs> this is one of those segments where it's like, look, if I listen back to this podcast and it's cut out. Well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> no. But if it's not,
1: i <laughs> will be very it's happy. It's a treat for you all. Oh, so those who made it 45- 45 we haven't even talked about the ride yet, but I just wanted to talk mostly about the opening. But let's That's take a fair. step inside the ride. So let's go to the queue. Oh, what year is it, Luke? Oh, are we? Oh,
0: woo, 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 well, you woo, can woo, go woo. today. It's
1: very similar, oh, okay. strangely.
0: But oh, where are we? We're looking around. We're here in person. We haven't done this bit in a while, Luke. The- yeah, because it's <laughs> stupid and I hate it. So it's much. not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny. So we're walking around. Just kidding we if you would enter this mm. on opening day you enter spaceport THX1138 which is actually named after the first film George Lucas ever directed which is ah. a nice little a nice little homage uh, so this is the intergalactic spaceport for all earth system flights so you're mm. flying from earth to all these locations it has this massive board that shows you all the places you can go aboard the luxurious Star Speeder 3000, which can carry 40 people. So, as you enter, you see the Star Speeder 3000, a big full size model of it, which is really clever. Yeah, this is a cool To showcase now. there, because the one you actually go on to later is just a box painted to look kind of like the Starspeeder. Yeah. So to have a full 3D model of one there, R2-D2 is in the model. C-3PO is kind of up on the screen. If you've ridden the ride today, this part is still very similar. The screen on the right-hand side tells you all of the destinations, you know, where the flights are going. It's got this kind of showcasing where you can go. You can never go there, of course. On the first version, you could only <laughs> kind of... Go to Endor in inverted commas, but we'll get to that. Yeah. But interestingly, this room is pretty much identical layout-wise to what it was when it was Adventure Through Inner Space. Huh. So the curving of the queue is the same. The only difference is, have you ever seen uh, for the Adventure Through Inner Space, it's the one where it's an omni-mover and you go through a giant microscope and you get really small? Yep. And the giant microscope was where the Star Speeder is today. That's exactly ah. where the microscope was. Um, so it's a cool little little fact that to is know. Cool. Uh, you go through the queue. There's got heaps of animatronics. One of the cool ones is the G2 droids, which are geese from America Sings, just with their skin ripped off. Essentially, Whoa. the animatronics. <laughs> uh, same the ones that ended up at Splash Mountain. It's essentially one of those geese with. Out the geese part it's just the internal mechanism which is really cool i like the idea of a animatronic that's just a robot because mm. it looks you don't have to fake you know how the human ones you kind of like oh it's not super you go oh, realistic it's uncanny valley yeah that one it looks like a robot congratulations yeah. <laughs> That would have been one of
0: the most beneficial opportunities for them to just be like, all right, let's take off the skin and we're done. All right, guys. Good job.
1: Yeah. And I think it's got a plot like the eyes. That's, I think, the only part that's new. Hmm. You know, it's got those kind of looks almost like binoculars. Yeah. For its eyes. Yeah. See, I
0: really do like Uh, in this segment as well, the banter between... R2-D2 and C3-C3-PO.
1: Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, it mean very... 3-C-P-3-O? Oh, sorry. I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, and that, that banter is still true today. I, the script writing, even in the original films, is so clever, dumb, where you can't understand R2, but due to the reaction of C3-PO and the back and forth, you can still tell what their conversation is about. Mm-mm. Same thing here. I like that. So you wind around, you go past this, you go up some stairs, um, past some of those G2 droids. There's like a Mon Calamari who's kind of doing security or something. And then you go to, you hear the famous, the f- you know, the big overhead. Mm-hmm. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express. Non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. And this is when you're, you're in kind of the cattle pens waiting to load. They've got one of the most boring pre-show videos of all time. It's just of like a star speeder sitting in a hangar for like four uh, yeah. minutes. And they're just kind of, there's like mechanics standing next to it. They See, do anything. I,
0: I know that you're saying this is boring, but I like things like this. So there's. Oh, no, this there- <laughs> is what
1: you're saying at the start. Oh, this is the best part. I just ask if I could ride the pre show over and over and over. So
0: it's that thing where it adds to the illusion that you're in like a different space. That it's, it's a real place. It's similar yeah. to one of the things I love about, like, I just released a video on Stormrider. One of the things I loved in that ride was that just before you Mm. get on, they're like, all right, we're just going to quickly go over to the pilots. Oh yeah, how are you guys going? They're like out the front and one guy's just eating a sandwich. It's super casual. Like it feels really natural. Um, And then it zooms out and you can see your Storm Rider and the scale of it. And because you go into the ride vehicle, you never really get an idea of what these look like physically. But this provides a Mm. great opportunity to sort of allow you to suspend your disbelief a little bit more because it's just cool. It's cool, Luke. And don't diss it. Don't say it's boring (laughs) or I'll kiss Michael Eisner more tenderly (laughs) on the cheek, of
1: course, and with his consent. Of course, of course, of course. Uh, So you're at this pre-show, boring or exciting, whichever you think about it is. Then they've got the little, like, safety video with this woman with this rockin' side bun. Mm. Uh, It shows a safety video. Interestingly, the part where they're like, move all the way in to the ride vehicle, and they show the video, that's actually just Imagineers and their families. So It's like Imagineers who worked on the ride, which is pretty cool. Uh, It shows you, you know, how to fasten your seatbelt, all of that. And then you actually get to go onto the ride vehicle yourself, which, as we were saying before, is just a big black box. Painted to look like the Star Speeder. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because Which these. Kind of... The technology didn't require it to be modeled, and you only see no. it for like a tiny bit. Though, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool in the sense that when you see it from the loading, It looks all pristine and nice, but from if you look back in unloading, it's got like bullet marks and that all over it. It's
1: got scratches and stuff on it. Yeah. Which is always cool. I thought that was cool. I don't know if it still does.
0: Did you ever ride? I don't think you did because the first time you went to Walt Disney World was like in the last decade. 2015. But there was a very similar attraction, which was Body Wars. Body and wars, baby. something yeah. I hated, little six-year-old me did not like this, is that you spend all of that Uh-oh. time in body wars and you do all of that stuff. You're going through the veins and that. But then when you get off, little six-year-old me turned around. I looked at that ship and I'm like, there is not enough blood on this ship for us to have <laughs> actually gone through the body. And then I just completely rode off the ride because I'm like, well, that's just all fake.
1: This can't be real at all. <laughs> that's why you think the Star Tours is real because you turn around and there was damage to the Star Tour, mm. ride vehicle. Exactly, the Star Tour. <laughs> the, that's what it's named after. The Star Speeder is the Star Tour. John, so you Star board Tour. onto the ride, and you get introduced to arguably one of the greatest Disney theme park original characters of all time. RX Twenty Four, known as Rex, who at one point. Was going to have the personality of a grizzled, burnt-out Vietnam War veteran Who'd be triggered by horrible memories of the war And unintentionally put riders in jeopardy due to his PTSD Oh, yeah Relevant (laughs) But uh, But they thought that would be too intimidating So now he's just a a first-time pilot It's his first flight Well, they've
0: absolutely (laughs) back-flipped off
1: that idea (laughs) I love how that was their only two ways to be like, mm, how can we make it so, you know, the pilot's not great and he can get us into a little bit of danger, a little bit of trouble. Well, he could either be a new pilot or having flashbacks to when he was fighting in the war and he almost got shot down in his X-wing. Like, is that the two? The mm. only two ways you could figure <laughs> out this character? <laughs> the other thing as well, I do like
0: that for some reason through this entire thing... Nobody ever thought, oh, maybe we should use a recognisable Star Wars character. Like, you know, now it's C-3PO driving the shit. I like that. You do?
1: I like that it's just a random guy. Okay. Because, remember, the whole idea of this is you're just a regular person in the Star Wars universe. True, true. Why would a famous character be working for Star Tours? Like- even the way that it's kind of set up in Avengers Continues a little bit, okay, why are they here? Mm. Like R2-D2 is still on your ship, which I feel is probably just so they could be like, ah, oh, crap, we need to make some recognizable characters in it. Yeah. But I like the idea that it's just exactly what it would be, a random guy. Up until this point, nothing's gone wrong yet. That's true. Where it, the, I... the new version, something goes wrong almost straight away. Because C-3PO is in the captain's seat as soon as you get on the ride vehicle. And that makes sense because
0: in this experience, it does start off. Well, actually, it does go wrong fairly quickly when he's like, where's the (laughs) brakes? But then once you start going to Endor, um, well, you can explain it. Everything goes wrong again. You can explain (laughs) the experience. He kind of
1: sits there. He's like, it's my first flight. I can't imagine anything would go wrong. He's voiced by uh, Paul Rubens, who plays Pee Wee Herman. Uh, he's another animatronic of a robot, so I love it. He's kind of got this weird head thing <laughs> that his head can do. Oh, yeah. Like, if you've ever watched the animatronic, his, head, his neck can, like, compress into his oh, body. Yeah. Sorry, the movement nods. that you did on
0: the webcam uh, was you looking <laughs> like a bird. Uh, you know when they, like, look at themselves in the mirror and they, like, do the head bop where it's like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was yep. like that.
1: Yep. Uh, <laughs> that's why I'm not the star speeder captain. So, so we take this big shield comes down, you get to see Rex, you see that you're in the maintenance bay, mm. you know, you start to take off and instantly something goes wrong. Oh no. For some reason he he goes into an area that's like no admittance. He crashes through the gate, falls, almost um like smashes into the ground. Nearly collides with this giant mechanical arm. There's also, if you look carefully, a giant, mighty microscope, which is the little throwback to the ride that used to be in this place. Oh, nice! Ventures through inner space, uh, but then you take off. So you take off. You're ready. You're on your way to Endor. I'm sure nothing else will go wrong. He asks, um, he, sorry, he asks R two to make the jump to light speed. You make the jump to light speed, but he's kind of dialed it in wrong. And you just saw straight past Endor. Oh. you just like, see ya! <laughs> you, and then, you know, it's, oh no, we've made a mistake. N- Instead, we're in a giant cluster of comets. So you're kind of going around the comets. You get hit. You get bonked around. Mm. Then you go through a comet f- for a while and it kind of looks like an ice, like hoth or something. It's uh, very yeah. strange. Yeah. You're like inside the canals of a comet, I guess. Mm. I, I don't know the 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 where the comets have holes in them, but in star Wars, maybe they do. they do. Maybe they do. <laughs> uh, so you you smash out of this, and then you encounter a star destroyer, and this is kind of where the, it becomes you're regular people in the Star Wars universe compared to you're reliving the famous parts of the film. Yeah. The ride. Um, Because you get caught in the tractor beam of the Star Destroyer. Uh, X-Wing fighter comes and like saves you. And it's like, Star Tours, you're not meant to be here essentially. Uh, But then he kind of forgets about that because you accompany the Republic and assault the third Death Star, (laughs) which they've just built another one because The first and second one did so well. So they've uh, kind of just built it again. Mm. But this one's actually finished. And then you go down into the trench run. And this was a specific thing Tony Baxter made note of actually wanting to do in this ride. Because he thought that was the most exciting part of the film. He wanted to recreate that for the guest. And yeah, this is probably the most exciting part. Of the ride because it does feel like you're in this famous part of the Star Wars story. Yeah, and it's got the music. It's uh, like. Dun,
0: dun, dun, yeah, dun, the trench dun, run music. Dun, dun, dun,
1: dun, dun. <laughs> uh, at this point, you realize that the Star Speeder has guns. Oh! And you start killing TIE fighters. Shooting them out of the sky because apparently that's just a normal thing for a, you know, when you Do get on a plane and it has a heads? laser gun. Yeah, <laughs> just... essentially like.
0: <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, by the way, we're just flying over a war zone. So we're just going to pull out our <laughs> missiles <second>. uh,
1: <sighs> and just sit back, relax and get some of that. Uh, water, complimentary water from the air hostess. Uh, if you'd like a Thank you. bag of chips, that'll be a, a house mortgage. <laughs> we'll bring around the, <laughs> the, the bankers fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Please pay only by exact change. We don't have any cash on hand. <laughs> uh, so you're fighting through. You destroy the um, Death Star. Republic uh, pilot destroys the Death Star the same way Luke Skywalker did by firing two torpedoes into the exhaust pipe. So third time they still haven't learned their lesson. They've got that weak point of the exhaust Wait, hole. Did we do that? Uh no. It's some random uh X Wing. Oh, I okay. Believe. Cause I was about to say like,
0: does this whole ride just nullify <laughs> Luke? Like does it just pretty much mean like,
1: no, oh yeah, anyone a Death can Star do it. 3. I'd love if they were like, no no this is the original Death Star, and this is what actually happened. It was random guests at Disneyland <laughs> who saved the day. Hooray! It's <laughs> canon. Uh, so you do a the classic. You zoom out as the Death Star does its classic explosion. Yep. You jump back to light speed and land in the spaceport where you took off for some reason. Uh, huh. You... Just land back where you were You never make it to Endor So that's how it explains you end up back on the Earth Spaceport, the THX uh, 1138 That's how they're like, okay, there you go You're back, welcome back, you've made it You survived, and Rex Says his classic line It's my first flight, I'm still Getting used to my programming As the door closes And C-3PO comes on and he's just like Thanks for riding, get out this way Completely oblivious, apparently, to what has happened. <laughs> he has no urgency in his voice. Just like, thanks for riding Star Tours. Bye. As you get off uh, to simulate the real experience of being in
0: a <laughs> uh, airplane ride gone wrong, uh, they have HR there ready to represent <laughs> the company. They have PR they people, the media. They're they hand to sign. They're giving like everyone <laughs> blankets. <laughs> they're making sure that you're-
1: Don't talk to the media. Don't talk to the media. Don't talk to the media. Your
0: family's been informed. They're they're like, crying. <laughs> I never thought I'd see you again. I was like, wow, this is a really realistic ride. This is
1: realistic. Things di- only Disney could do oh, such realism. Disney <clears throat> difference. Yeah. Uh, so this ride opens, and it is spectacular. It's getting multiple hour waits consistently when it opens. So it only makes sense to... Expanded around the world The first one is actually Tokyo Disneyland that opens This opens up um, In July of 1989 At Tokyo Disneyland's Tomorrowland Mm. It's a really cool building They have six versions of The ride system here Instead of the four at Disneyland Just because it's Tokyo So capacity is important over there Yeah Uh, Then Uh, At the end of that year, December 15th, 1989, Disney World gets a copy of Star Tours at Disney MGM Studios, which adds a second ride to that park. And interestingly, as you were saying earlier, Body Wars, which is an identical ride system, opens up at uh, the Wonders of Life Pavilion, like, six months before. Ah, uh, yeah. So, Disney World gets two new rides in the same year that are essentially the same ride, just with a different film. At that point, these were just the dumbos of, yeah. like, the rides, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And then the lucky last one is Disneyland Paris, which opens up in April of 1992 when the park opens. So, they got theirs as early as they could. Mm. And... Pretty much... uh, So, Shanghai doesn't have a Star Tours, but it's too new. But every other Disney resort and um, Hong Kong doesn't because it also opens up too late, I would say, for Star Tours. Yeah, it has Iron Man. Yeah. So, when Hong Kong Disneyland opened, we're kind of in the era of the prequels where the public love for Star Wars is a little iffy, 2005. So, Mm. that could be a reason why... Cost cutting could be another reason why that version's never built. But, yeah, now they have a Iron Man experience, which is a really cool ride because it's unique. Which that's kind of one of the big bummers about Star Tours is four different resorts around the world have the exact same ride still to this day with the adventures continue. Um, But we're not going to talk about adventures continue today. What do you think of the OG,
0: the original Star Tours? I got to experience this one. I think around a similar time to when you got to experience it because Adventure Continues wasn't updated until quite late. Um, it was sort of around late... Uh, the late 2000s?
1: 2012, I want to say. Yeah. So I got to experience... I think different parks at different parks, different times, Maybe in been like maybe 2010, 2011, 2012, around that era. Yeah.
0: Though. I've also experienced... Almost every version of this ride, in the sense that I've experienced Body Wars, mm. I've experienced Star Wars at Hollywood Studios, uh, I've done it at Paris, Disneyland, I've done Iron Man, I've almost checked off, I actually... I could pretty much check off my Star Tours passport. I'm a globe trotter, <laughs> Luke. Uh, but I oh, really maybe I went to
1: Endor <laughs> and
0: back. <laughs> oh yeah, I came back to THX one one eight nine or whatever it is one one three two something like that. One one three eight. I really uh. enjoy this attraction. I also like the theming and just the sort of expanded universe that comes around what? it. It's yeah. I don't know. It's just fun.
1: It's a good fun ride. Right? I, I really love this whole idea that, you know, it's not set up as this big exciting thing, but it turns into it. Like Exactly. You know, you're not set up as you're the hero. You're going to save the day. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. It's not just, you know, you're, oh, Alice in Wonderland. You're going to ride the story of Alice in Wonderland. It's a very unique thing. And I would say this is a turning point for the Disney company as well, this attraction. mm This attraction opens up um, in the 80s, the late 80s, which then kicks us into the Disney decade, obviously, where we have Disneyland Paris, a big, lots of openings. And even to today, Disney's still putting in rides and attractions for franchises they don't own. This was kind of the first big version of that. We see Pandora, um, World of Avatar, and they opened up in the last few years. like Those sort of things still happen. And it's thanks to Star Tours that, this idea of reaching to outside companies to make the most exciting rides happened in the first place. Mm. In Super Nintendo world, all this sort of stuff. In all theme parks thanks to Star Tours. and in saying that you
0: you touch on it exactly this is one of those incredible attractions where you are just experiencing the star wars universe like it's not that thing mm. where it's like oh this is some secret back alley shady stuff or oh you're rising up against the resistance this is just you are in an airport or a spaceport yep <laughs> in the star wars universe and that's that's it that's special it because it yeah. takes more to do that in my opinion than going oh you're on a grand adventure and these are all the incredible things there's heroes villains and all of that like it which is- i think it's
1: in yeah mm. it's interesting that both of the big major star wars kind of attractions from Star Tours and Galaxy's Edge Both of them, in their own way, have kind of gone, you're not just stepping foot into the things you know from the film. Yeah. They've both tried to do their own unique interpretation of it. Arguably, Star Tours kind of succeeds in that regard more because it still gives you just enough of what you know. (laughs) Yeah. But with this new spin, this new idea where I like Galaxy's Edge- but I can understand why a lot of people would be confused. Yeah, hundred percent. Good ride. Yeah, yeah, great ride. I love the original. I love uh, Rex DJ Rex. Now he's still got that. I I'd love to see a, a film or a short story of what happens between when he almost kills, uh, you know, a plane full of guests by flying them into a Death Star <laughs> in Star Tours. <laughs> And somehow finds his way to being a DJ at another random planet, you know. Yeah. I don't know how many years later it is in the storyline, but give me something. Give me a little some little comic book or something that explains True. how... He was probably fired, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he maybe had some, you know, downtime or something. Who knows? But... He lived with his know, parents for a bit and up. became a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> that so will wrap it up for this week's episode of review times theme podcast on the iconic attraction that is star tours at the disney theme parks around the world or should i say star ride or should i say cosmic winds and no i'll say star tours if you'd like to get in touch with me you can find me on twitter i'm at review time luke i'm at review time tom you can get us both at Time Review. Send us an email, luke at ReviewTime.com or dom at ReviewTime.com. Especially if you've got some ideas for the pod. We've got plenty over the last couple of weeks. Appreciate them all. We will get to them. But that's it for this week's episode. Who knows where we will be going next week? Yes, you'll have to tune in to find out. It's a theme park. Ooh. Bye. <laughs> Review Time's Theme Podcast is brought to you by Luke Carroll and Dominic Lacey. A big shout-out goes to our newest patron, Jordan, long-term Patreon, Josie McDougall, and to you, the listener. Review Time's Theme Podcast will be back next week.